Uh, there was a period when I was younger where it was like the most thrilling thing in the world to yeah. me. You know, just because like things like, um, oh, I've never seen Sioux City, Iowa before. Let's shh, shh. let's drive after the show so we can get yeah. to Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah. And, you know, by sundown. Every young man's dream. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- I'm just using that as the example of, like, yeah. Lincoln, Nebraska, and Sioux City, Iowa, and all of these cities that, like, people often don't think of a reason to go to. I was, We were just, like, so excited. Just like We had never seen anything outside Chicago. So touring was the most exciting thing in the world. And then just even imagining that there was, like, people in these places that wanted to see our band was just, like, incredible to us um so touring was thrilling and then like some switch flipped and i like i just like reached some <clears throat> after a few years i reached some like tipping point where i was miserable on tour um that was just like one tour to the next uh i don't know it was no it was definitely more of a grayscale i didn't <laughs> when i say tipping point maybe isn't the right way to yeah. put it because it's not like i like one morning i woke up yeah, i was like yeah. oh. what i didn't realize is like um the effect of like i used to live on a fedrin you know and um sure. it's just like just like i would gotten a bad habit of like a fedrin before the shows Xanax to fall asleep and then just like doing that for weeks on end months on end just like i was just like sore and crabby all the time and then i also had like incredible anxiety because that like cheap speed yeah you know so then i started to associate travel with anxiety um so now the last few years i've definitely like there's a balance of like we do 10 days at a time pretty often and it's like we don't even notice this time it's three and a half weeks, and we're a little like, oh, this is like real. Like we have lives, jobs, yeah. and responsibilities at home that we aren't tending to. How did the ephedrine thing start? Did somebody <laughs> were you were you feeling like tired one day, and somebody just like, I'm just picturing was, this pusher like backstage. Yeah, no, like, it was like a. I think it was like a '90s indie rock, yeah, secret handshake kind of thing of like. Um, I don't know. I think like a lot of the spazzy bands back then were doing it, and um, I don't know. It, it's been a long time, you know. It's been we're talking, yeah, uh, fifteen, sixteen years ago since I've touched it. You, know. you blame touring though? Do I blame touring for it? Yeah, yeah, sure. Like if I was at home, you wouldn't be doing cheap speed if you were just yeah. I worked at the bar. Yeah, I worked before I bartended for sixteen years. Before that. I uh, worked at a cafe and then, like, a uh, art video store, like, yeah. you know, like, underground yeah. film specialty kind of place. Yeah, bootlegs, independent yeah. films, like, um, art films. And um, worked at a library and a warehouse, a couple warehouses. Like, parking garage. None of those jobs would have made me decide I needed to start eating a Fedrin. And, you know... One of my bandmates. Um, I'm just like suddenly maybe it was a Chicago thing. It was suddenly I'm like picturing that picture that scene from Ferris Bueller, where, where they where they like to, in the parking garage where they take the car. Out. Oh yeah, right, right, yeah. You're one of those dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, um, you know, you don't like every bad habit. You yep. don't. One of my bandmates once blew our minds. He struggled with 
drug addiction from 13 to 33. So he's been clean for about eight, nine years now. And uh, as a sober guy, one night we were playing a show in Germany, and there's Club Mate backstage. And he took a sip of it, and, like, his eyes lit up, and he said, I'm addicted to this now. <laughs> like, he just knew it, you know, which is not how the average yeah. bad habit forms. Yeah. It's like a, like a, it's like finding the next li- lily pad of yeah. addiction. Yeah, like, yeah. So you've got, a, you've got one sober one sober member of the band right now? Uh, he's not on this tour. Okay. Um, I just can't like when 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 you're in when you're in that situation. I mean, are, are you you're not sober yourself? I am at the moment. You are. Well. Yeah. I mean, and like I think that was part of yeah. touring getting easier too, is yeah. realizing like the one upping thing of like, oh, last night's show was amazing, and I was pretty drunk. If I want tonight's show to be even better, I got to get a little drunker, yeah. or uh, you got to get a little. A little drunker, even to feel the same, and then know? literally self-medicating to counteract what yeah. you've already done to yourself. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of yeah. all the destructive habits of rock and roll make perfect sense to me. Yeah, like like um, I can understand that some people, young people, might like uh, think it's like a badge of coolness or something, but it's actually like very sort of practical. With that first tour, when you're like not self-medicating anymore, was yeah. it? It must have been harder at first. To get I, out no, there. I still self-medicate. Yeah. I'm just better at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like now the me- self-medicating isn't all chemically induced. Yeah, and like uh, you know, like there's a big difference when you're, you're like young and every time you have a drink, you think you want to get fucked up. Every time you smoke weed, you're like, I'm gonna get so high. Yeah. And now I, you know, now I'm 42 years old, a little more mellow, and I realize it's nice to be a little bit high. It's nice to have a couple drinks. I just, because I get this feeling from, obviously from the outside, but that tours are very different for you, and and like show to show is really different for me, just from the standpoint of selling out one night and having, Mm -hmm. you know, much smaller one the next. Like, it's not, it's not, it's not consistent across the board. No, it's pretty weird. And it's also like, uh, you know, tomorrow night is... Monday night in Richmond. Yeah. So it's like, who knows? It's not quite like a weekend in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who knows if we played Saturday night in Richmond, if anyone yeah. would be there. So, um, you know, that's a thing that we all understand and, like, occasionally think about, like, well, maybe we don't have to do the Monday on Richmond show, in Richmond show. But then it's like, well, we make this little bit of money that like buys our gas and hotel and food yeah. for the day and that's enough to get us to the next place where we can like where there's people who are just where there's a culture even that's inviting to us you know does it, does it make more sense at this point to tour for three weeks like economically i don't think so yeah. but we're about to find out <laughs> okay because the last time we did a lot of touring we did um was 2013 mm-hmm. and we did like five weeks of the full u.s then went straight to Europe for two months, um, or maybe yeah, maybe six weeks in Europe. It was somewhere between uh, two and three months, two and a half, three months that we weren't home. Yeah, and that was enough to like make us crazy. Like we were all so exhausted at the end, we were just miserable, you know. So in the three years since then, we've just done like a week or ten days mm-hmm. at a time every so often. Um, 
is a crew getting along reasonably well with one another? The what? The is the current is a current uh, group oh, of current, guys? Oh getting yeah, a- we love each other so much. Like, <laughs> like again, this is another thing from the outside where it's like you know maybe the guys aren't getting along so well. Yeah, no, we. I mean, we we could only exist as we do now with this lineup. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's no wild cards. Everyone is like the friendships between everyone is equal you know like it's not like there's even teams or anything and like um i feel as equally tight with theo as melina feels with theo and as i feel with melina you know it's like um and i really can't imagine like when i'm at home it's very normal for me to go 72 hours at a time without like seeing anyone or talking to anyone yeah so like uh being around people 24 hours a day is like crazy to me like I'm just so used to so much alone time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be totally impossible if we weren't all 100% best friends and we're like so constantly deferring to each other like, oh, here I bought you a coffee. Oh, I was taking a walk and I saw this. You know, it's just a lot of, uh, yeah. Is this is it a matter of just like having been doing this project for so long and finally having kind of the right the right mix of people? Yeah, because the cost-benefit ratio really weeds out <laughs> anyone who's not. You mean nobody's getting rich off of this? Yeah, anyone who's not totally yeah. in it. Um, I will say, like, we have a pretty expansive crew. Like, the way we exist, I feel very much like we're a five-piece band right now, but the last ten years when it, I sort of figured out, like... Um, there's like 15 people maybe that might be in Joan of Arc at any moment. We've really solidified as this five for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. But the previous 10 years, there's like 15 of us that might be in the band at any time. So when I have a batch of songs or there's circumstances are right and it's time to tour, the email goes out to 15 people saying who feels like doing it. You know, There's, and a then, ba- there's an inner band mailing list. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it really comes down to like the practical things of like... Yeah. Ah man, like this guy just got married, doesn't want to go on tour. This guy just got a job he likes, wants to go yeah. on tour, or doesn't can't go on tour. Versus this guy's getting divorced, so then he's like, "Man, I'm ready to go on tour." Versus this guy loses his job, and I I'm ready to go on tour. So it was really sort of designed to be this like, um, and that it, yeah, it was designed to be like this sort of like support group in common. But wait, you know, but it started it started it. off like that from the beginning or No, it not no, it it definitely developed into that. Yeah. Like at the beginning we thought we were just a band. But we were definitely a band with like some tension. And when one guy quit and he lived with another guy, they both that guy was like I got to quit and I don't want to, but yeah. he's going to make my life miserable if I don't. It's like going through a breakup and like yeah. getting here. Yeah. Have to choose friends, yeah. Yeah, but then they started a new band and immediately called me and asked me to be the singer. And I was like, what are you guys doing? No, I have a band, and you were both in it two yeah. months ago. <laughs> like, you left because you didn't like me. Or yeah. you didn't get and I was like, if you want yeah. a singer in your band, yeah. think of someone else. You know, I mean, these are still like people I'm very tight with. But that w- at that point, we still thought <clears throat> we are still operating under the, like the assumptions of this is how a band operates. Someone quits, new member joins. Sure. And then it eventually it became clear that we didn't have, like, a financial model that was stable enough to do that. 
so then it became like, um, you know, so some tours we would, at one point we would expanded to like a seven, eight piece band traveling where we had like two guitars, two drums, bass, uh, vibraphone, auxiliary percussion kit, cello, vox organ, um, accordion, you know, and then after that, it's then like we really hotel or something. Yeah, we got <laughs> so expansive. We had our whole practice space yeah. coming with us, and then after that, we very self-consciously stripped down to like, okay, classic rock lineup. Cause Maybe we don't need the accordion. This yeah, time yeah, too much shit to carry. Yeah. So, uh, just guitar-based drums. Yeah, and then, um, you know, so we create these sort of limitations for ourselves. Um, What's interesting, and, and you know, and I think this is consistent across a lot of what you've done, is, is this idea of kind of redefining what it means to be a band, and this one especially. Although you know, you've as you said, like you've gone in and out, and you've taken people from other bands and remade, yeah. reformed other bands. But, what, but is is there? A, can you put your finger on what the consistency is with this project? I, I mean, I, th- I really think like it's not. Um, we never think about how do we want to sound. This time we think yeah. about like the means of production, you know. So we think about like, like this record was made because we weren't enjoying writing songs together, but we were really enjoying playing really long jams together. And every time we'd write, try to write a song, we'd be like, "Eh, who cares? One more song, throw it on the pile." But every time we'd just play music together and switch instruments, I mean, anyone who's ever been in a band knows that like there's a moment every practice where everyone switches instruments and they're so happy. Yeah. And we're like, why don't we do that? That's like when we're happiest, you know, like I don't want to be the guitarist and I, and I don't want to be the bass player. And it's like, okay, let's play. We can all play anything. Um, so we can't afford to rent a recording studio for a week to just do long jams. Yeah. So we had to find weird spaces we could get for free so we could set up all our equipment and then just keep changing instruments we record like nine hours of music and then just whittled down to like, oh man, let's loop this part or like, let's take this two minutes. So, um, so everything on there was done live in studio? Yeah, and, and honestly, we don't even know who's playing what instrument yeah. most of the time. Um, like Theo is on the drums more than anyone else, but he's also playing everything else. And it's also like the first Joan of Arc record where every member of the band is playing drums at some point. Um so yeah, it it was like we would play for like an hour. We would spend a whole day setting up the equipment, like getting the feng shui just perfect, so you could like <laughs> move through the room and move every instrument any of us owns was set yeah. up and ready to hit record. And uh, then we would just be like, okay, it was musical chairs. Let's go, and then it's musical chairs. Yeah. And so like uh, like one song that we're playing tonight that like. We do know that, like, the sort of, like, hook for this one song was, like, a guitar part I played that was run through a chain of effects. That Like, that was the other thing, was we would send all the instruments through chains of effects that other people were free to walk up and process. So like you were like, well, let's make this as difficult as possible to play live. We were like, let's let's make it a way we know how to play music because yeah. that, that became really interesting. But, to but, be like, but, but was there any was there any consideration putting in put into like, will we ever be able to recreate any of this? No, because computers, you know. I mean, and like, oftentimes band practice for us got to be like, 
Uh, we actually didn't play any music tonight, but we did all make a bruschetta together. Oh, and and or like accomplish something. Yeah, I mean, and, and that was that felt more important yeah. than like, can you count to seven to hit this bridge on the upbeat? You know, like and we spent a lot of time like listening to hip hop. Like that's here's band practice. Hey, notice, notice how these two work as a duo, versus how Neil Young and Linda Ronstadt work as a duo. You know, um, so yeah. So like some combination of uh, fucking around and deconstruction. Yeah, fucking around and deconstruction. This fucking around and deconstruction was what we needed to make it exciting and fun and new for us. The last record we made um, was a collaboration with this performance art group that everything was determined according to, like, they were moving our equipment around on stage as we were playing, and it's like an hour and 40-minute experimental theater thing about, like, um, poetry written on court transcripts of, like, uh, workplace accidents in the 19th century. So, like, anyone who, like, heard the record would just be like, what are they trying to do? But then if you saw the performance, you'd be like, oh... That's what that music yeah. is the effect of, you know. But but the important thing is is for, for you is making the process entertaining for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even think <laughs> maybe about we'll the get output. A good album yeah, I don't or... even think about the output. Yeah, like uh, the record before that, we was when we stripped down to a classic rock lineup. Excuse me. And at that point, um, what we did is um, did a three week European tour, in which we played. We didn't play a single song that had ever been released. We just played this new record on tour every night. Then we got home, and we, you know, we'd refine things yeah, yeah. and started sequencing it. And then we were just like, okay, this is the record beginning to end. That's a set every night. And then we got home and went straight into the studio with Albini and recorded just the live set. That's like not that unusual of approach, right? I mean, there's some version of that that, that a lot of... I think it's an old-fashioned approach. What it does do that's very weird is... Um, I don't know how often a band that... At that point, we'd been a band 15 years, and we went on tour and didn't play a single song yep. that had ever been released. Yep. Um, so that that was what was weird about it. Yeah. you know. And then to record with Albini, no overdubs, just like, here's the live set. Does it ever amaze you, like when you when you consistently take different different approaches like that, that like, people are still into it? You know, they, do uh, you ever like wake up like surprised that people are still following it? Yeah, sure. Every day. I mean, it's not that people are still following it; it's that people sometimes follow it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But despite, again, like you said, like not necessarily focusing on on the output and what it sounds like on record, that you know that you've managed to maintain fans. Yeah, I think the people that like us know, like, how we are and what yeah. we do. Yeah. You know, so people aren't. I think there's very, very small ratio of our audience that likes us that is just coming to hear a song they liked from 15 years ago. Um, and at some point, like the um, Richmond show on a Monday. At some point, we had to, like, make a choice about how the process would, what it meant to be in a band, mm. you know? And it was, and it just, for us, and it had to be, because it's not enough money to be a job. So once you strip the, like, okay, we aren't going to be rock stars from it, 
and then you strip away the we aren't even like going to make a comfortable living off this then it's like what any limitation in what we could do would yeah. just be like some externalized idea of what the abstract audience wants sure. and any projection of an abstract audience just says more about us than the audience. You but know there's got to be some, obviously, some base level of audience in order for you not to completely lose money doing this. Right. So you know, I mean, like, you you can't you can't forget that altogether. Obviously, it's not what's necessarily driving you. But yeah. Like, you can't you can't alienate them too much in the process. No, nah, I don't know. I mean, it's not <laughs> like <clears throat> there's we never. We we never make a decision because we want to alienate the audience, you know. Um, but I, I don't think we ever make a decision according to what we think the audience wants. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, we get really excited when we come up with weird ideas, and it's not just weirdness for the sake of weirdness, but just everyone likes being surprised. Yeah, it's it's no different than being. Three years old. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a genuine and it's a, like it's a genuine curiosity about what what this will turn into. Yeah. Oh, so right. So like the hook on this one song, as I was explaining, I played a guitar part that ran through a chain of pedals that mm-hmm. someone else was tweaking, that then Bobby sampled and then played back at half speed, and we like listened back to the song and we're like, oh, there's nothing really happening here, and then we like soloed what is this track? And we're like, oh, that's Bobby soloing, or Bobby playing at halftime the sample of Tim's guitar part yeah. that Melina is tweaking. And that became like the thing that we looped, yeah. you know? So that's a that's a fun process, you know? W- way more interesting to us than, okay, I'm going to hit this eight times, then go to the A, you know? Is, is, is this something that you would do if for whatever reason, if touring dried up it, you know just the process of getting together and having having music creation being a part of just hanging out with friends yeah for sure i mean that's what i mean by like we weren't able to play songs but we were able to jam is after that really long tour u.s and europe back to back two and a half three months we were so burned out that we we were like uh let's just we're gonna take a year off like we didn't want to break up, but none of us felt like being musicians. We were all just like, yeah. let's deal with our lives. And then a whole year passed, and we'd see each other around, but we didn't really hang out much. And then, but it turns, I mean, I say we don't hang out much, but it turns out we all go to the same places at the same time. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. You don't make um, a plan, but you <clears throat> end up, yeah. Chicago's a small town, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we all have the same friends and yeah. interests. Um so a year later, we started putting these songs together, and then they were like, um, not interesting to us. And so we started just jamming, and like the sort of rules were that we would never record it because we didn't want to get mm. self conscious of like, oh, something might emerge. Yeah, we wanted to just like rediscover the joy of playing music together. And the other rule was. If Theo's on the drums and Bobby's on the bass, then I can't play guitar. And if I'm playing guitar and Theo's playing drums, Bobby can't play bass. Like, we just couldn't all fall into our mm-hmm. old habits. And so we we sort of tested ourselves, how long can we do this? And at first, you know, it's like any muscle you exercise. It's like, um, 
we'd go 20 minutes and be like, wow, that was exciting. And then like the next yeah. week we could do it for an hour and a half. And then at some point, but it was, it was, le- it was legitimately fun doing it. Oh my God. It was thrilling. Yeah. It, 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 by the end we would just show up and we wouldn't even, we'd be like, Oh, Hey, yeah. we, we were so yeah. excited to get into it huh. and we could be playing for four hours. Like the last couple of times we did this, um, we're like playing for four hours and all like beating on the practice space walls with drumsticks and just like making the room into like weird sounds. And, and, um, it was after that when we were like, okay, this is how we need to make the record, you know? So at one point you, you make the conscious decision that like we, we are now in the process of like, we've, we've, we've honed our skills and now we're actually going to yeah. record this for posterity. Yeah. Or just, it was like an access point. Yeah. More than like, we didn't know, and it's so funny, man. Um, our friend who recorded the record, because we need like a mobile unit, you mm-hmm. know. And we have a friend, Mike, who is an engineer who has a mobile recording unit, and we've been friends twenty years, but we've never made a record together mm-hmm. before. And so I went out, got a drink with him, and I explained, "This is what we're thinking," and he's like, "All right, cool, let's do it." And then, like, we set up the time for the first session, and the night before the first session, just, like, whatever he said while talking about how to set up, I was like, uh, meet me for a drink. We're going to talk about this again. And I laid the whole thing out for him a second time. And he was like, all right, cool. Can't wait to get in there. We record, like, maybe we get set up, we record the first day, and... By the end of the first day, he's like, this is the most ass-backwards <laughs> way of making a record I've ever heard of. Yeah. You guys cannot do this. And we were like, dude, we've been friends 20 years. We've never gone out for drinks, just the yeah. two of us. And we just did that twice in the last three weeks for me to explain this is how we're doing it. And also, it. like, you know how I've m- kind of made music over yeah, the yeah, years, right? right? <laughs> yeah. You're aware. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, – yeah, I mean, in the end, he was, like, thrilled by the process, and he, he's, like, very excited about the record and, um, like, really proud of it. And, yeah. But but there was, like, this moment in the beginning where he was like, it, it can't be done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, when was it actually recorded? Well, I think we finished last March. Okay. Um, so March 2016, we finished. We probably started... In August 2015, and we would do like we would spend four days in each space. Um, the first day just setting up and like figuring out mm. what was unique about the room, how to mm. set up the stuff, acoustics, and yeah, yeah. acoustics and the practical practical aspects of yeah. where's the electricity and um, um. And we would sort of set up a different setup each time because, yeah. like, after the first two sessions, we had nine hours of material. So at that point, we started uh, Just editing it down. Yeah, maybe we'd edit it down to like probably at first pass. After the first pass, we probably had twenty-five tracks that were like two hours. And that must have been a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, it, well, we, we you know we just divided it. Yeah, like, um, two of us each. Each. Of the 25 jams, or uh, for the nine hours, however many jams it was, like 14 maybe, um, two of us would edit each one so that we knew that, like, if someone 
so that two of us were hearing each thing, you know, so that, like, if anyone missed something, someone else could catch it. Um, so then by the third session, once we were, we had the edits done, then we're, like, layering things and restructuring them. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could, we've talked constantly about how we could make an entirely different record that sound nothing like this out of the same source material, you know? Um yeah, as, as as I think it was like pointed out in some of the press material, that there you know there are some pretty uh, topical themes. You know? Yeah, you know, is that just sort of like a weird coincidence? Was that just in the zeitgeist of the moment? Yeah, I don't think I don't. I wouldn't call it a weird coincidence. I would just call it like, um, like you know, I mean, like obviously, like it was in the air, but like you know, ending March of last year, like sure, nobody had any fucking idea how any no one in a million out. years thought. Yeah, no, even like that line about finding the king's hands tiny yeah. was recorded before the whole Donald Trump tiny yeah. hands thing. Yeah. Um so that one felt like a like a, oh, yeah. lucked, lucked into that one writing a song about a king with tiny hands. Yeah, I think it was just um I don't mean to flatter myself as having a tuned antenna, but it was just like there's definitely like we don't you know, it's a constant give and take of like submitting to intuition. Yeah. And then sort of cutting back from it, you know? So, like, lyrically, we don't really know what the songs are about. In in a context like that, when you're, when you're, when you are just jamming, like, how do, how do lyrics even take shape? Uh, so after the, right, so the basic process was we would, we would do these chunks of four days at a time, and then we wouldn't, we wouldn't reconvene for three weeks. Um, so... You know, in the meantime, we might get lunch a couple times and talk about where we're at with the edits, or like, I had this idea that I want to do this kind of thing different in the setup. Like the pictures, if you see how like we had the drums set up, it's like there was a drum set, but then there was also like a drum wall that was sort of like yeah. part, parts of which were held together with strings, so that if you so you couldn't hit it a couple times in a row. Like if you hit it, it swung away. And, like, so we created all these sort of weird games for ourselves like <laughs> that. So it's, like, um, so, yeah, so that just became a, a matter of refining. So, like, once the first edits were done, then me and Melina thought of different ways, like, I can't remember what the number was, but but let's say there was 20. We were, like, 20. Let's say there's 20, 20 jams that we started okay. looking at um it was like i took five that i was like i'm just gonna do this one these five she took five and was like i'm gonna do these five and then there is like five where we're like okay we're gonna sit together and work on these once a week mm -hmm. and like come up with ideas together and then the last five were like me being like i got this idea you should do this, and she's like, "I got this idea. You should do this." So that that part of the process was a little less improvisational. You were actually like writing them on paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it came time to like actually, I I was not. Um, I'm working on the lyrics to this new record right now. Um, uh, for a different band, mm -hmm. and it's um, and and another project, too. Um. And it's always the same for me with lyrics where I have 
for these two, it's like I have like seventeen pages of like one liners. Hmm. And I'll just, just like, like phrases that sound nice. Yeah, phrases that sound nice. And then um some of which I might have jotted down f- five years ago and they just haven't landed anywhere yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just kinda like I'll kinda like moan along to the song or scat along to yeah, the yeah. song and just sort of feel like what's the rhythm? What are the notes? How's it fall? So I hate and to that, say that, so it's like that's like I think that's what Paul Simon does. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it's just like you make vowel sounds, yeah. and, and then then I got 17 pages of phrases, and yeah. I'm listening back, and I'm like, oh, this hmm. this cadence falls right here. Um, and then from there, there might be three phrases in those 17 pages that all land in this song, yeah. and then everything else is sort of written Filling as a prepositional the... thing to yeah. unify those. Interesting. It's... it's um... It's like what do they call it? like cut ups, like the uh, like the burrows yeah. thing a yeah. little bit, yeah. Yeah, I, I always think of it as like uh, not wanting to impose meaning on it, yeah, but letting meaning sort of emerge. But you know? have to you have to connect these two potentially very dissonant mm-hmm. phrases, find the th- yeah. the the through line between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not like uh, it's not in my disposition to sit down and be like, I'm going to write a song. When, I'm going to write a song about my feelings. You know, and, and you know, when you sat down and, and wrote the first novel, was it, was it a similar process? Yeah, actually, it's, it's funny you should ask. The novel was really just like, oh, this is how I, I mean, the first novel, I was just writing a ton. Um, I got divorced and I didn't see it coming. So I, it kind of like, you know, freaked me out. I was like 33. And I was like, oh, what do you do when you get divorced? I guess you go back to school. So I went to grad school. <laughs> or you or you buy a, or you buy a convertible. It's, yeah. it's, it's so like that, one or the other. <laughs> that whole thing came later. But, um, but so I started grad school in a MFA program. I thought I was taking a break for music at that point, but it was really like we toured the whole summer until the day school started. I remember I tried to get a job at the library because I always worked at libraries before that, and I, like, strut into the job interview, like, on all this Xanax, wearing my sunglasses. <laughs> I was, like, didn't even realize, like, what it meant to apply for a job at a school library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, you know. Maybe drugs being weren't. <laughs> 15 years older than everyone else applying for the job. So, I just... uh so it was like I thought I was taking a break, but we were on tour until the day we I started school. Then like winter break, we went to England. Then like did ten weeks of school. Then like back on tour all summer. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a real break. But in those times at school, I would just let myself just write. You know, I, there was a whole system of like I always run up against a wall when I try to do that. I don't know if it's a matter of kind of setting parameters for yourself, but the idea of just like sitting down in front of like a computer typewriter piece of paper whatever and just just letting yourself write is completely foreign well, to me. yeah well this is what i did and this is um this is how the first novel came to be and and you'll see it's a very similar yeah. process of meaning emerging from the thing um meaning emerging from the process yeah. um i made a, a alphabetical list of body parts you know starting with ankle um and then just wrote this this became like my 
practice each day. Sit down. Uh, what does ankle remind me of? Here's a story of my ankle. Uh, elbow. Oh, one time this happened to my yeah. elbow, right? So I did like A to Z of body parts. And at that point, I uh, read back through all of them. I did all this, wrote all these without reading the others, you know, because I didn't want that to mm-hmm. like impede on was what it I was just doing. like you know one night you would do one body part mornings i can't write okay. at night but yeah. w- but one a day yeah. or something okay and then i sort of when i read them all back after a few months then i and it was like 150 pages i remember wow and it's a book well that's what i realized <laughs> at the point i didn't realize while i was doing it but i was like oh i've started a novel <laughs> and i'm 150 pages in yeah. and just reading the stories back, I was like, oh, I have five characters because this elbow and ankle and chin all seem like the same person they would have happened to, you know? So then I sort of divided it into these five characters. Then from the five characters, it became like, okay, what's this person and this person's relationship? Then what's this person and this person's relationship, yeah. you know? So it's it's all just setting out grids. And, like, I, I never feel creatively inspired in, like, like a romantic poet sort of like I'm overwhelmed by spontaneous sure. emotion and I need to express it. Yeah. I, I more just like set out systems and then fill them in. I've always found that, you know, that that's the best part of writing is, is finding those connections, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting down like that. That's the most far and away for me, the most enjoyable part of the process Yeah, is connecting the dots. Yeah. Which is going back to the surprises and yeah. playing music of like, Oh, there's a song in this. Yeah. The novel then, I mean, that's the year then when I had the first draft done and then I had a real sense of um, what it would take to finish it. That's when we set up Captain Jazz reunion shows because I was like, I'm going to need money <laughs> yeah. so I can like finish this book. I don't want to be doing, I don't want to like have to work no. and think no. about this. So, um, so, so the cynical people would say it was a money grab, and maybe it was to some yeah, degree. I, I'm not cynical, <laughs> but it was. I mean, it was money yeah. grab. Whatever. Yeah. Um, I I don't know. I was 37, 38 at the time. I had no other way of making enough money to write the book. Mm. So I'm not embarrassed of it at all. Some teenager thinks like, "Oh, Captain Jazz is just in it for the money." Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Obviously, if you followed our career, you know that yeah. that's the driving force. I, I I have to ask you: Do you read reviews at this point? Yeah, I wish I didn't. Yeah. Um, can't help it. Does Pitchfork have a personal vendetta against you? I know they're they're yeah. Chicago guys. Yeah, and, uh, apparently <laughs> they do. I don't know what it I think, is. Like, I was just like, I, you know, I was like, oh, I'll like read a couple of these in a row, and like, there are multiple references to wanting to punch you in the face. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I have no idea. Um, and it's weird because um, the publisher that put out my first novel, uh, Featherproof, I became huh. really tight with the publisher and owner there, and in the in the process of writing my novel, we became really tight. Um, and then he got a job the same time that we got home from that tour where we were also burned out. Yeah. He got a job in Helsinki. So I'd been home for like two days and he's like, okay, meet me for a beer. And I thought I'm just meeting my friend for a beer. And then he's like, I can't, I'm moving to Helsinki. Uh, I was trying to sell featherproof, but I don't like the, I'm afraid of what the people who were offering to buy it would do. Yeah. 
you should take it over. And I, and I just didn't know what I was going to do for the next year. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll take it over. Well, um, a publishing company, no problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was I was desperate for, like, yeah. I need a thing to do. Um, so And it meant a lot to me that he, like, trusted my sensibilities to yeah. – it was a thing that was very special to him for 10 years. So um, through him, he was really tight with some of the Pitchfork people. So through him, I've actually, like, gotten to know a couple of the people socially um, – and like I never brought up like yeah, why do you hate me? So yeah, much? and whatever. And and it's like they I don't I think it's not their department. They would yeah. just be like, I know that's what any of them would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I don't want to like make it awkward when like uh, our girlfriends are hanging out together or something. Oh geez. Okay, I should probably wrap it. Up yeah, yeah. No, so we can totally end off on this I, question. I, I do, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's totally fine. Um, no, but you were you were saying that you met them and they kind of. Pass the buck. Oh, a bit. oh, yeah, yeah. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't pass the buck because I never asked. Yeah. But, and it's not like these are like my best friends now or something. But like, people that are totally respectable as peers in every way in like um, the community of creative people yeah. in Chicago, happy to see each other. Yeah. Have a great time. Million friends in common. If there's a barbecue or something, like, you know, I mean, and I'm not claiming this is all the Pitchfork people, like, just, like, some of the people I have a fine social relationship It's with. just funny to think that, like, something that you, you, you could do, it would be just be so offensive to somebody. The weirdest part about it is they have some idea of how I am that has so little in common yeah. with how I feel feel like I am or like what they think I'm trying to do has is so far off base from how what I really feel motivated by that um that's the weird shocking part like they I'm aware that uh my old band make believe like was started 2003 war on terror response and I was very much like the my frontman character was like a bad guy wrestler yeah. Like that heel. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who didn't get that yeah. is just like too much of a moron to appreciate professional wrestling, which I don't think is the highest standard of media savvy. <laughs> sure, sure. You know, like I was it's a, a bad low bar. Yeah. I was a bad guy wrestler. <laughs> yeah. The people that liked the band got that. Yeah. I think they applied that personality to other aspects of your work i think so but also they had already sort of thought yeah. i was that or something so you cemented um, they yeah thought you were a bad guy wrestler the whole time yeah, yeah yeah i don't know man so yeah i can't say it i mean obviously it doesn't like stop me or something maybe there's something to be said for eliciting such a, a strong response from somebody yeah, I mean it's better than like a three point eight is better to me than a six point five. Yeah. Where yeah. they're just like another okay thing. Yeah, but it, I do have to say like the standards are really weird to me. Like uh, reading that Pitchfork review and then clicking on the link to some old ones and reading them. Oh, it's the most even... subjective. Like, just rating music is the most subjective thing in the world. And there was like mentions in basically all the reviews I clicked on. Just maybe three or four that morning when that one came out and there was like a mention in each of them that was like you know this music is actually pretty good it's just this guy and it's like <laughs> wait what 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 did what did i do yeah. that you're saying like the band would be okay otherwise yeah. if it wasn't for me what did i do 
that actually ruins the band that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the president, but I'm like the certainly the sure. janitor and organizing manager <laughs> you know I'm, the, I'm like the organizing was, there was a line in there that was something like the defining quality of this album is like the band's worst which is his sense of humor or something like that. yeah 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 there was something it did say something like revealing the worst aspect of his personality his sense of humor and i was like mm, what it you gotta be like a really shitty person for your sense of humor to be your like the only person in, i can imagine who the worst quality yeah. they have is their sense of humor is a really mean-spirited person yeah who's like humor is actually just yeah. belittling someone yeah and, a, a prankster yeah, yeah. Or, or a dick <laughs> you know i don't know whatever maybe i'm a dick and they know me better than i do or my girlfriend does or my family does i don't know i All mean right. so of course it's awkward no one you can imagine it's weird to like yeah see them socially <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I actually haven't run into those guys since then. I was going to say it's weird to, like, read these things yeah. about yourself and be like, "That's wait, that's not me. That's how I appear to other people, you know? So it gives me pause in that way. But um, can't worry about it. There you go. That was Tim Kinsella of uh, Joan of Arc, Captain Jazz, The Owls, and about 8 million other Chicago-based bands. Joan of Arc's new record is called He's Got the Whole This Land Is Your Land in His Hands. That's out now. Uh, if you're so inclined, you can check out the uh, 3.8 point uh, review over on Pitchfork. But uh, I highly recommend just uh, just just go listen to the album yourself. Uh, his uh, We discussed his book a little bit. His uh, first one came out in 2007. That was the Karaoke Singer's Guide to Self-Defense. And a second novel was released in uh, 2014. That was called Let Go and Go On and On. Uh, thank you so much, Tim, for taking the time to do that. Really enjoyed that conversation. Thanks to the folks at uh, the Mercury Lounge for leaving us alone during that talk. Thanks to Hector for uh, setting that up. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, please consider rating us over on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, those ratings certainly help with whatever weird metrics these various podcasting apps have on the back end uh please uh, rate us please leave a review if you can if you've got any feedback it's rwellcast at gmail.com follow us on tumblr that's rwellcast.tumblr.com that is the first and best place to get all of your riyl related information like us on facebook uh, i think that's about all i got for this week lots of good interviews coming up for you guys so stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl 